This is the Car Dealer Podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray, and joining me is a man who this week has had a bit of bad news, having been replaced as the figurehead of Warranty Wise by Ed China, uh, which I'm sure came as a great shock. So I'm going to be a bit nice to him this uh, this week. It's <laughs> Quentin Bachelor. How are you, Batch? Are, are you okay? It was, are you okay? <laughs> But in, that are Holly, you? in that Holly Willoughby style, yes. Mm. Uh, no, I'm okay. I'm I'm dealing with the news well. Uh, it's, you know, I'm in a mm. dark place right now, but it's okay. Well, you've got a light on, I can see. <laughs> Aside from that, how's your week been? Um, it's been, it's been quite, it's been quite a busy one actually. I mean, I've uh, I've started by talking about the fact that I was driving the Abarth 500e this week, mm. which um, I mean, it's Abarth's first electric car um i mean that's all well and good but did you see my trousers mm. i think the rest of the uk saw your trousers the international space station saw your trousers <laughs> yes well for people tell, tell us a bit more about how you ended up with those luminescent trousers to match the luminescent car which where did you go to purchase them what's well, your I went to... trouser emporium no 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 i mean my tailor was busy right um <laughs> And I uh, went to a place called Screw Fix. I don't know if you ever have you ever heard of that place. Screw yes, I'm Fix. I'm familiar. Yes. Okay, it's it's a it's a remarkable place. I have to say, um, I've never been before. Probably won't go again. I have to say. Um, but well, you've usually got a man for that sort of thing, haven't you? Well, yeah. Well, you, well, if there's any DIY jobs that need to run the house, my father comes around and with his with his toolkit. There we go. But I went there and I mean, I have to say, that's where proper men go, really, isn't it? Screw fix. I mean, I felt very out of place and I bought these trousers and uh, and then I spent two hours that evening, um, an hour on each leg, um, uh, unpicking the reflective tape that you find on the uh, on trousers like that. And um, yeah, it was it was quite something, I have to say. And was it worth the effort? It was, although I did feel a complete idiot walking around a five-star hotel looking like somebody who was going to relay someone's drive, you know, put some tarmac down or something. Oh, God. Okay. But aside, to... aside, from, aside from that, I, I've also had um, a, a wonderful experience with an electric car this week as well. Mm. Um, I was doing a towing test with a BMW iX, and I have to say, if anybody listening to this podcast intends on towing anything but primarily a heavy caravan with an electric car don't just just don't do it because you, you the range is is appalling and i had to i had to charge up three times in one day and each time i got absolutely soaked which led me to create a little twitter video saying why aren't there covers over charging points mm. um why and 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 of course they get you you get soaked and then the touch screen that is on the charging point is covered in water 
and you can't use it and the whole thing is just utter utter rubbish so that's that's my, that's my little two, two pennies worth of moaning there well it's a very good point and that is true every time i have tried to charge in the rain i have thought the same thing the so, problem is the problem is when you come out and say something like that on Twitter, I had I had what was one of my most engaging tweets for a while. There were well, I had hundreds. Yes, it does. I had hundreds of replies from people saying, "Oh, have you heard of something called an umbrella?" I mean, <laughs> by the very <laughs> fact that somebody said that shows that they've never charged up a car in their life because it's impossible to be holding an umbrella whilst also lugging these enormous cables around your car. Mm. It's just a it's just a horrible, horrible experience charging a car in the rain. It's horrible. Yeah, it's a bit like saying, oh, why do you need a roof? Have you not heard an umbrella? Like, yeah. it's yeah, sometimes you, you need hand-free. Yeah. You I'm don't so... get that as a petrol station. They're all with beautiful canopies, aren't they? You know? Yeah, well, I wouldn't call it a beautiful canopy. Well, not beautiful, it, but, it, it you is know. a canopy. At least it keeps you dry. Yes. But yes. There we are. Oh. Sorry. So, um, yeah, that was that's been my week. Um, screw fix and uh, getting wet in the rain. Lovely. Uh, well, these are not the kind of activities that you're normally doing. So, <laughs> I mean, helpfully, those trousers probably would have been waterproof. But anyway, yeah, just throwing that out there. If you want to put them into your normal wardrobe rotation. Rotation. Yes. Now they've been they've, they've been binned. They've <laughs> ditched. They've gone. Never to be seen again. Well, on that wasteful note of consumerism, um, I'm going to introduce our guest, who is Simon Verona, Managing Director of DMS Navigator. Welcome, Simon. Good morning. And I'm sorry you had to listen to that very exciting update from James Batchelor there. I'm very sorry that I've actually missed those trousers. I'm looking forward to the photo. Well, no, don't, no, no, you're not. Well, it's really? on the internet if you really want to go and see it. That's, um... I, I, I'm not Googling that sort of thing on the internet. I don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> so anyway, we'll move swiftly on from Batch's trousers for the moment. Um, so DMS Navigator, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will have heard of it and probably use it. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of the business um, just in general and the sort of products you offer? I'm, I'm sure people can guess if they haven't already heard of it. I guess the clue is in the name. So as you, as you, as you guess the name says, we provide dealer management systems for, for car dealers. That's franchise independence. And we also get out of the car trade into sort of motorhomes and caravans and basically anything that's got wheels where, and needs servicing or selling, we'll probably get involved in that. Um, and even if it hasn't got wheels, we do boats as well for some strange reason. Mm -hmm. um, I got into the motor trade as about as a baby, really. Um, my father ran a car dealership, so I grew up in a car dealership, and I have him to thank for the fact that I'm into IT these days. Um, he was a big user of systems in car dealers in the 70s, when mm. computers didn't really exist, and he caught the software bug and how software could really improve his life running a car dealership. So when it came to the early 80s, and he wanted to sort of sit back and let the computer do the work... He couldn't find a system that wanted to do what he wanted it to do. So my father, being my father, decided he'd go and write one. So that's what he did. Uh, <laughs> and that ended up as a company called Modems back in the 80s. When I left school, late 80s, I joined the family company, learned the ropes. Uh, I'm a developer by trade. Um, and the company was sold to ADP, which is now via CDK, now Keyloop, mm -hmm. um, back in the early 90s. I stayed there. Uh, learned a lot, learned how to do things well, 
learned how not to do things so well. <laughs> um, and five or six years later, decided, you know what, don't want I don't want to work for big uh, American companies anymore. Mm. Uh, and I then joined back with my father, who had retired, and we set up what is now DMS Navigator. Um, we've always been, um, I guess, a bit more boutique than perhaps the big boys in some respects. Um, and we're driven by three key things. We want to make dealers more efficient, more profitable, and deliver better customer service. Um, we've done that for the last 27 years now, nearly. Um, the world changes, but predominantly what we do doesn't really change. We are still focused on delivering those three things. Um, what we do now is very different. And I think the last five years, things have changed a lot. And what we need mm. to do for the next five years is very different as well. But that's what drives me forward day to day. So I was going to say, set up in 1997, as you say, nearly 27 years. Has has the biggest change been over the last, dec well, five years or so, as you say, because we're always parroting on about how things have changed in the last three years since the pandemic. Is that actually the truth or are we forgetting quite a lot of history before that? I, I think, I mean, I, I've been in the trade 35 years now. And at any time in those 35 years, there's always been some key topic that means the motor trade is going to die next week and it's mm. going to change and everything's moving and the world is going to change. But it doesn't. The world keeps turning. Uh, the motor trade continues. It continues to evolve and has always evolved. It's very, very robust. But, I mean, I think, you know, there are three things that really are driving forward at the moment um two of which i think are probably key things that you talk about all the time um the first one is um uh, this whole thing about omni-channel retailing uh i hate the concept the word omni-channel retailing nobody knows what it means uh it's just retailing um and i think what's happening it's nothing to do with the pandemic though it happened beforehand people have moved slowly over the last 10 15 years to buying things online you know amazon has grown we buy things online we make small purchases online um and what's happened over the certainly through the pandemic key thing was when customers couldn't come to a car dealership your only way of transacting was online mm. so the motor traders had been forced kicking and screaming very very quickly to embrace the whole concept of online retailing um the problem that that you have with that, and I think there are some very big online-only players that are struggling perhaps because of that. Well, we rarely mention those. You, we've, I know I have noticed that your, your, your publication is very, very um, avoiding that sort of cop topic. Mm. But um, the, you know, the, the problem you have is that, yeah, the, 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 the consumer, there are some consumers that do buy cars online. I buy cars online. I'm a Tesla owner seven times over. So I buy cars online. But... I'm probably a very low proportion of the population. Most people in reality don't uh, choose one path or the other. They don't choose the online path or the physical path. They like to hop between the two. And I think the problem with the online retailers is the presumption that people will say, I am an online buyer and will take the whole journey online. Here is reality. People want to choose their own journey. They want to do bits of it online. You know, they might take the inquiry online, but they'll come in and test drive. They might then go and order it online afterwards. They may choose to have it delivered or they may come to get it. Mm. Um, that's that's the big challenge now, is now to take the mess that the 
that's been made by making the move online. It's not, I mean, it's not a mess. You know, the, deal, the dealers had to do that in 2020 because it's the only way they had to transact. But they built parallel sales processes, parallel ways of doing work, which now means that now customers want to flip back to forward so that their processes don't work that well. Hmm. And so I think as far as you're concerned, what what do you think is the I don't want to say the future, but what's the current situation? Do people are people going back to buying in person? They're not really that fussed about the whole online thing, or do they want this, as you say, bits and pieces online, you know, do my finance bit and then wander in and actually collect the car in person and I do think, I think right across the whole business process not just in sales also in after sales we don't forget we forget about after sales quite a lot you know taking your mm. car in for service that hasn't really changed yet but you take about every customer interaction through every process different customers are different some people are more than happy just to click 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 buy buy send the car to me or click 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 i want to get my car service three keys and do it but most people have various levels of comfort at different parts of the sales process uh, and if buying a car is not like buying a buying a cordless drill or buying a pair of fluorescent trousers on Amazon. Um, well, Bash actually went to the store together. He, he wanted the in-person experience. He went there to do it. That was his choice. It was, it was a horrible experience. I'm not going back. I'll go online next time. But yes. Precisely. And I think that's, that's, <laughs> that is, that is exactly that. You, you've you said the challenge. At the end of the day, as a retailer... I cannot make the choice for the customer about which path he's going to take. Mm. We have to give the customer options all the way through that sales process and that transaction from end to end and let him decide at any time how he wants to transact with us. And that's very, very different to what we're used to. We're used to having quite structured sales processes. This is how you do and this is the order we do it in. Now the big thing forward is that the customer is choosing the way he wants to buy things and he wants to take the path that he does. Um, and what we're going to see in the future is that if we don't offer him the path he wants to do, he will go and find somebody that does. And we will eventually lose custom because of it. I'm sure the frustration for dealers is that they have to, they feel like they have to invest and have invested a lot of time and money into setting up all of these online systems. And then probably, I don't know what the, what percentage of people are actually using them or not, but it must be a lot lower than what it was in the pandemic. Yeah, I, I think, I, mean, I think um, Robert Forrester for Virtue was quite saying that predominantly about less than 2% of his sales mm. cars were sold end-to-end -end online. Uh, and I think that's probably quite high. Mm. Uh, and But it's a growing percentage. And certainly if you say what percentage of car sales have some element of online, that's almost 100% now. You know, I think the kid, you know, I remember when I was a kid, when I was sitting in the car dealership on a Saturday morning, you would see people come to the car dealership, see this, and then they would park their car up and they would walk up and down the rows of cars, looking at each car one by one. Now, somebody walks onto a car dealership and they literally make a beeline for that one car they're interested in. They already know about the car. They know more about the car than the sales guy that's trying to sell it to them. Um so that's actually been an online transaction you didn't know about. You've got no record of that transaction, but it happened. And, and you'll see that all the way through the process. You know, somebody will come in, look at a car, maybe test drive the car, walk away. And then tomorrow they might email in saying, can I buy the car I drove yesterday? The dealer to come back and say, which car was that? Mm. Become, it is a very strong disconnect to the customer. So the challenge now is to make that is not to say we've got an online sales process and a physical sales process. Mm -hmm. 
we have a sales process mm. and how you know the and that is one process but has kind of two personalities an online and a physical so every physical process needs to have a parallel online process that is joined together it's the same thing um and for me what i see today is um car dealers are very much like uh they're like ducks uh from an online transaction they are giving this kind of serene kind of how easy it is how smooth the sales process it looks really nice and calm above the water mm. in the dealership it's chaos it's carnage <laughs> Every sales transaction, you know, somebody puts a sales inquiry in, somebody's got to take that sales inquiry and key into their sales, into the CRM system. If somebody then goes and buys a car online, that comes into one system. It's got to be keyed into another system. Customer makes a payment online. Somebody's got to go into the Stripe or whatever it is account you do and then key that back into a system. It's a whole load of manual stuff to do what the customer's already done for you. Yeah. Um, so my job is to join those dots together and uh, and make them um you know make make them work mm. um and that's that's my that's one of my challenges moving forwards delicious with a plum sauce i think I'd like yeah, well that as well <laughs> indeed and, and I, I think that, that that you know that's 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 the big challenge at the moment is really to take the pandemic the stuff that they've done over the pandemic and make it actually work mm. because at the moment they make they're delivering the customer service but they're not doing it efficiently so my, my second sort of pillar of doing things efficiently is disappearing because of that. Mm. I have to I have to I have to agree with you on hating the term omnichannel. Mm. I mean I know American, it neat, isn't it? Like, yes, and I know it neatly encapsulates everything. And it's just one of those things that's just thrown out there. And, you, and, and everybody understands what it means. But I, I do loathe it because you're absolutely right. It's just retailing, isn't it? I mean, if you know, if you go to John Lewis and you look at I don't know, a washing machine. And then you think, actually, I want to go back home again and check it online and do a bit more research. And then you buy it online. You know, your other half doesn't say to you, oh, what are you doing, darling? Well, I'm doing a bit of omni-channel retailing at the moment. Don't disturb me. You don't, you're just buying something. You're just Why buying something. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think the word omni-channel, yeah. the, whole, the whole phraseology makes it sound something new and different. And yes. it isn't. It's just retailing. Just that the people, the way people retail. And as it, as it has always changed, it's always been evolving. It's nothing different. Hmm. Um, well, I will move us on to our stories, as I'm sure we will have lots to talk about uh, today. If you haven't listened before, Batch and I have chosen our favourite stories from the car dealer website this week. We don't know what each other has chosen, and we're going to have a chat about each one as we go through. At the end, Simon gets to decide whose stories were the best and who is the winner. If you want to play along, you can tweet at Car Dealer Mag and let us know if you think we've missed anything. I am supposed to write in this script that I definitely have in my head every week, um, who won last week, but I can't remember. Was it you, Batch? Um, I can't. This, this, this is awful, isn't it? I can't. Mm. I can't remember. I, it was there. Uh, there was a bit of banter. I remember. I remember. I was. I was definitely. Uh, you know, I have giving a feeling it, out, it was you. I think it was you. Was it, it me? Was, it was my story, but I think it was awarded to you to balance out the weeks before, where the same thing happened in reverse. So I'm going to give it to you. Okay, and we had the lovely Jer Jeremy Evans on, didn't we? So I think yes. he did give it. He did give it to me, didn't he? I think so. Yes. Okay, well, shall I start then? Okay. Please do. Well, um, I'd like to start with an exclusive story uh, we had this week. Well, it was published yesterday, in fact. Uh, and it's that Renault is slashing um, their dealer network. Um, 
Renault has taken the axe to its dealership network and slashed the number of sites it operates in the UK. Termination notices have been handed out to nearly 30 dealerships across the country as the French firm looks to radically downsize its network. Uh, Renault confirmed it was making the cuts to car dealer after the news was leaked by disgruntled partners across the UK. So, um, so yes, yeah, so Renault confirmed to us that they're going to be slashing their network down from 144 sites to 115. Um, and, you know, they, they say that, um, that, well, they confirmed it. And that's it's just sort of part and parcel of what they're doing. The last time that they did something so radical was about 10 years ago. Um, and... Um, uh, I just remember it happening 10 years well, ago. I, exactly. That's exactly what I was just about to say, because it was really shocking. Wasn't it? I remember exactly. I remember as if it was yesterday. And of course, it was part and parcel. It was wrapped up in this other announcement, wasn't it? About the big culling models, things like Laguna and Espace, oh, yeah. Odus, Wind. They all went, didn't they, at the same yeah. time? Um, but mm. I have to say, though, um, when 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 this was posted on our website, I, I, it just doesn't surprise me. Um because there's just been lots of stories like this, hasn't there, where manufacturers, they're just taking a bit of a cost-cutting route, cost-cutting mm. attitude with their dealing networks. Um, and Renault say, look, you know, for, you know, our partners will reduce from 54 to 46 from 2025. Mm. 96%, and for, for, oh, sorry, allowing us to ensure optimal coverage for our buyers, 96% of whom will now be within 45 minutes of a sales site. And it's like you said, Simon, isn't it? You know, okay, 45 minutes is 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 quite a long way away, isn't it? But if if a customer has found their ideal car online and they know that potentially they're going to be taking a 45 minute drive to that dealership and there's a high chance they're going to buy it it doesn't really matter does it whereas in the past if there wasn't a car dealership just around the corner from you then then, then perhaps you know you 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 possibly you wouldn't buy would you but um but yes so um i mean it was it was a great news story uh, it's exclusive to us but i have to say i'm not particularly surprised by it no, I can't say I am either. I mean, when I see, we seem to have more and more of these stories, as you say, and I every time I see one, I just think it's not a fun time to be a franchise dealer, particularly in, well, I was going to say in the volume segment, but the premium uh, makes are not <laughs> immune to this, are, are they? You know, what if you're a, a JLR dealer or a Mercedes dealer is the other one we cited here. Um, it, it just seems so sad to me to chop these things down because they, I know, as you say, within 45 minutes of a dealer people will travel 45 minutes to go and buy a car people will travel further than that for the right car you know like i mean a few years ago i went to a renault dealer funny enough all the way in enfield which was about two hours away from me just to get like the right renault sport clear which is a very nice car i might add um but it's when it comes to servicing it that is where you then lose customers and i think well, obviously, I wasn't going to take it to Enfield to be serviced, but to me, it is somewhat helpful to have um, a main dealer within a few uh, minutes distance of me, you know. And I think a lot of and that me, whereas a lot of people, perhaps older people as well, do not want to travel into the next big city to have their car serviced or to buy it in the first place. And I think there is a there is a role still for local dealers. Um, that's my view on it. Which yeah, I there is. You're absolutely right. 
you're you're right but uh, i mean some a dealer who wished to remain anonymous in the story but does make a very good point saying you know car companies need to be careful with the chinese brands coming here thick and fast that just leaves the door open for these challenger brands to get a foothold and in some ways i think that 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 dealer is absolutely right um you know if 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 a new entrant can come in spot the spot this trend of the legacy brands the 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 traditional car makers um, exiting and and sort of switching off the the idea of the local car dealer, perhaps they can come in and and make a and and, and make a bit of a uh, you know an opportunity here uh, and offering a, a convenient local service to people, um, and yeah, I just think that's that's quite that's quite a quite a mute point really, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I I mean, the, yeah, sorry, Simon, go I, on. I, I mean, I I think I would echo both those points. It's a uh, uh, we talk about it in the move to agency as well. Um, the For me, nothing wrong with agency in its own right, but I think the underlying driving point for a lot of these OEMs is that they now believe that, the use, particularly using digital, they can get closer to the customers and own the customer journey, excluding the dealer and the dealer just becoming a delivery agent. So the 45 minutes... They're not thinking necessarily about going to see the car. They necessarily think they're thinking about going to pick the car up. You'll travel 45 minutes to pick the car up. If they can find some way of selling it to you without you having to do that journey, that's where they are. Um, and as you say, that's an unproven process. I think um, you know the car, car manufacturers in the past are manufacturers and wholesalers of cars. Dealers are good at retailing cars. Um, manufacturers, I think, have got to go through that very strong and very quick learning curve. And we've talked about it earlier on about do people actually want to buy cars online? Again, I think that's you know that same question belongs. And you mentioned about the servicing, how the hell do you get it serviced? Well, electric cars necessarily don't need servicing or as much. So perhaps there's an argument there. Uh, you know, I own a Tesla. I'd never take it for service. So the fact that my Tesla dealer is 30 miles away is irrelevant. Um but I think also, you know, the, the 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 from the dealer perspective, it's really, you know, the, in many respects, one of the driving forces at the moment from the from from the European manufacturers, I think, is to reduce their costs because they can see the Chinese juggernaut coming, and the irony being by giving dealers a bit of distrust in them. Not that there's never been distrust in the past, but actually improving that, saying, you know, do I actually does this deal does this my my manufacturer partner actually want me mm. to suddenly have all these massive Chinese brands desperately looking for dealers that mm. want to sell their product, but they're just literally handing them the market on the plane. Mm. Mm. just there, ready to roll a car dealer that's got nothing to sell. Absolutely. And they've all, generally speaking, got quite uh what's the word? They're not they're not demanding in terms of put up this beautiful signage and you must have this specific floor and to quote JLR, you must wear a blue suit and white shoes and all that sort of stuff. So they're quite generally quite easy to integrate, or they have been so far. I'm it's sure that change as a lot of them get more premium. Just watch MG. I mean, look at MG. Well, that's changed over the last 10 years since it, since it started. Where hmm. I think we talk about push and pull cars, but I think there's also push and pull franchises. Franchises that have to work hard for their, you know, manufacturers have to work hard for their franchise partners. But then as they get stronger, the tide turns the other way a little bit more and the, you know, it's uh, it yes that is a, an awkward relationship isn't it mm. but it's always going to happen indeed
Right. Shall I move on to something else? Please do. Yes. Um, oh, what shall I go for? Um, I am actually going to go for another exclusive uh, story that we have on the website. Um, and this is a sort of investigation-y type thing that uh, Jim Holder of previously of What Car and Autocar fame um, has written for us. Um, and it's about JLR's House of Brands plan and whether it will just it will work or whether it will just cause sheer confusion. Um, so he's spoken to a number of different people across the industry. So he's spoken to dealers, journalists, um, industry analysts, um, and so on. And there seems to be a sort of mixed opinion about whether it's going to be a positive thing or not. So in the negative corner, we have Professor David Bailey, who's a very respected academic at uh, Birmingham Business School. So he reckons it's already caused confusion um, and it raises as many questions as it answers, he says. Um, and his his main problem with it is this idea of if it's, it's just too confusing. If there's Land Rover and Range Rover and uh, Discovery and Defender, some of these things will work and some of them probably won't. So Discovery, he's got a kind of question. Well, I think in general, a few people in this have a question mark over whether Discovery is a strong enough brand to work on its own. Um, Felipe Munoz of uh, Jato Dynamics, who is a global automotive analyst, reckons it's also going to cause confusion um, as to whether, as far as consumers are concerned, is this car a Land Rover? Is it a Defender? Is it a what? It's all a bit all over the place. On the positive side, um, Phil Nottard has come out and said it does. It, they realised JLR realised that they have no option other than to radically overhaul themselves in order to survive um and we shouldn't be judging it until the whole transformation is complete which is a reasonable assessment i think um there's someone else in this where have i got to um yeah a car dealership md sorry who spoke to us on condition of anonymity predicted that it will play out well in the long term as long as it sticks to its core purpose of allowing models to shine in their own right so in effect there's still confusion about the whole thing, but some people are sort of saying, okay, give it time and it might just work itself out in the same way that it's been likened in this story as well to Apple. You know, you have Apple as a, a house of brands, as it were, because within that you've got the iPhone and iMac and to a lesser extent iPod um, and iPad and so on. So people know these things individually, but they also know Apple, um, which in this situation is JLR or Land Rover, I suppose. Batch, what do you um, think? Well, I had this story written down as well, and um, I think the the Apple point is is a very good one. And when you put it like that, it does sort of make sense, doesn't it? But the thing I can't quite get my head around is, okay, you've got these different nameplates that are now brands, but let's take Discovery and Defender as examples. It's still a Land Rover Discovery, isn't it? Mm. Right. Okay. Whereas, like an like an iPhone is still an Apple iPhone. It's just that people don't call it an Apple iPhone; they just call it an iPhone, don't they? That's 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 the the whole point here, isn't it? Mm. Which I I think that does that does work. But when you go to a shop to look at an iPhone, you go to an Apple shop, don't you? You go to an Apple store. Whereas with with these house of brands. You, you are in, in in effect going to a Land Rover dealership, aren't you? 
I mean, you're not going to a play. You're not going to a house of brands, are you? You're not going to that that building down the road that's has got a number of brands in there. And I'm only interested in the Range Rover brand. You, I mean, you're going to a Land Rover dealership, aren't you? Mm. So why aren't these places called Land Rover de- dealerships? Oh, this is the thing I can't quite understand. And perhaps perhaps we are being overly critical at this moment in time. And perhaps like that that dealer said that it, perhaps in time it will all play out and it'd be absolutely fine. Um, but at this present moment in time, I just I, it just seems really, really confusing to me. And the other problem um, I the other problem I have in a similar vein to comparing it to the Apple thing is when you, as you say, walk into an Apple store and you've got all these various products, they all do slightly different things, but they are all they all have the same vibe behind mm. them. They all look the interface is all the same and they're all um shiny and whatever they're not really trying to differentiate themselves as having different niches it's not like you've got okay so you've got an apple watch normal apple watch and then you've got an apple watch ultra which is for people to go and bash against cliffs edges and so on but as far as land rover are concerned they are sorry jlr are concerned they want there to be a bit of fresh air between range rover and discovery and then still more between discovery and defender well it's quite hard to have to me it's quite hard to have three niches um in the off-roading sphere like one's roughy tufty great one's ultra luxurious right so what is what is discovery what does that do at the minute the niche for that is it has seven seats that's yes. all that they can do with discovery which is not really good enough and i don't think it's that makes it a desirable product unfortunately no but i i i think Again, you know, we, we're talking about this now and it, it, it might it might it might change again in the future and it might be something that um, makes perfect sense in the future. But I, my view on all of this is I don't like this sort of halfway house because, you know, Land Rover has been jettisoned, hasn't it? But it's still a, acting as a trademark, as a trust mark, isn't it, on, on price? If you're going to go completely down the route of having these as separate brands, I think they should the, the Land Rover name should go entirely and dealerships should be completely separate so there's a defender showroom a defender becomes the brand without any mention of land rover you have a defender showroom and then perhaps in the next city you have a range rover showroom mm. or you have a discovery show. you make it more pre- about the brands at the moment i just think there's this halfway house between oh yes well they are brands and they're going to be in a house of brands and they are still Land Rovers, but we're not referring to them as Land Rovers. Um, and I, I just think it, I just think it's utterly confusing. And I think ultimately customers will still think they're going to a Land Rover showroom, despite having all the you know Defender here and Discovery Zone over there and Range Rovers mm-hmm. over there. Ultimately, customers still think they're going to a Land Rover showroom. So I think if, in that regard, it's a complete waste of time. You make a good point there as well, which is that when you have multiple different price points within one showroom, I always sort of think you are always at, you're always at the level of the lowest price point to an extent. Like it would be, I might be talking nonsense, which is not unusual, but I think of kind of like the example that I'm I'm often thinking of in the past is when Citroen had for sale uh, the brand new XM or whatever it was. And was, were they still selling the 2CV or something like that? Or the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's that sort of thing. You can't position yourself as as one thing while you've still got these. Well, I, I say all this, of course. Land Rover had years of selling the Defender alongside the Range Rover, and that didn't, as in the original Defender, and that didn't seem to hurt them. But in until they can position 
discovery as mm. a really premium product i don't think it fits into this house of brand thing i think it's discovery no, it doesn't. I have a problem with it, it, you're absolutely right because if a showroom to ever if a customer turns up at the, the showroom in these new house of brands dealerships and there's the there's the discovery area and there's the defender area you know why and perhaps you've gone in there to look at the discovery and then you're looking at discovery and then you can see in the other part of the showroom there are three different defender models um and the largest of which you can have i think you can have it as a seven seater it was an, it was an eight seater or mm. something like that. i can't quite the defender 130 mm. and it's like well, what makes that car different from a discovery so until you're absolutely right until discovery becomes has a stronger brand identity um i think it's it's a very difficult it just doesn't i just don't think it works and i think i'll just go back to my earlier point i think for discovery to thrive perhaps that needs to be completely separate you have a discovery showroom and then down the road you have a defender showroom so that you know those that customer who turns up there knows knows the reason why they're there because they're interested in a, in a discovery for example um i don't know I don't know. I find, I find, I find it very strange. Um, I, I, I've, I, went, I was at Goodwood yesterday and um, JLR have got a big stand there and no Land Rover logos at all on the building. It had Defender Discovery. It Jaguar. started. It started. It was just a big grey, no Land Rover logo. All the cars had Land Rovers on them. Mm. It, it kind of, I kind of, it kind of remind, kind of like a parallel, I think, is like if you went to Curry's, and Curry's decided to remove the Curry's logo, but instead to put Philips and uh, Sony and Samsung and all on the front of their shops. It's like it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's almost it almost feels like it almost feels like a department store without a name now. Um, mm. You know, it's it's and even using like the House of Brands, I immediately think of House of Fraser as a brand <laughs> as a brand, and it kind of gives that. I mean, I always and I always try to think when when people do rebrands, there's normally two reasons. One is is the business is is in a mess. We need to do something, and this is something, and having something shiny and new is a good thing. Um, or there's a long term strategy to do something to the business, and in five years' time we're all going to go, ah, oh, yeah, that was what it was. Mm. Uh, we won't know for five years, um, and if it's the former, and not the latter, it's going to be a very expensive mistake. We'll be right back. You want the best return from your advertising budget, and CarGuru's Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz. I will yes. hand back to James Batchelor now for something else. Um, right, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about, um, <laughs> we know how I do feel as though this podcast, we, we are constantly talking about JLR and House of Browns. Well, that, <laughs> it's new that, kazoo, that, I think, yeah. Yes, we, exactly. Let's move on to kazoo. That other, Excellent. Um, that other company, which we always refer to, but Bristol Street Motors, they they acquired an old kazoo site um, a couple of months ago and they've uh, refurbished the place and they've uh, now opened it. It's um, a site in Tamworth. And um, it's open. They've sold their first car already. Um, so you're struggling to find things to say about Tamworth there. <laughs> it's open in Tamworth. 
Well, I've never been to the place, so I don't think. Um, I'm sure it's lovely. I just haven't been there. It's home of the Reliant Robin, Tamworth. Is it? Yeah. You sure? Yeah, it's where Reliant. Well, just, think well, just the Reliant factory, not the Reliant. Yes. Robin. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, carry on. Carry on. Um, yeah, so uh, they've opened it. They've said that business is, is busier than they were expecting it to be. Blah, 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 blah. Fantastic. And what have you. Um, it's just... Uh, it's just yet another ex kazoo site that's been sort of gone back to. Well, it's another it's another kazoo site that's turned over to the the long established dealer groups, isn't it? It's just quite ironic, isn't it? It re it really is that you've got these a lot of these kazoo sites were ex um, imperial car supermarket sites, weren't they? And what have mm. you? Um, and then all and that now gradually they're being turned back to to the return to nature <laughs> pardon i said return Sorry, to nature that? returning to nature yeah and it's just yeah and i, I is this I, I i know you can sort of um over over exaggerate all of this but is this is this yet another example or the the, the perfect example that 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 kazoo's move into make into car showrooms was what was a was a was a the wrong decision in the first place i don't know but i think we're going to be seeing more of more of these sites returning to returning to nature as you so eloquently put it well i i will say i don't think um this is my very short take on the kazoo dealerships i don't think it was a bad move to do it i think the way that they did it was probably not great and i think what's what's been quite telling going to these places after they have been returned to their natural car dealership owners is that suddenly all these cars have appeared and when it was kazoo it was very okay some initially had quite a lot of stock outside but you couldn't buy any of them without going online which is slightly it was a very strange decision for them to make that you couldn't just wander past um kazoo and go oh i like the look of that car and go in and buy it off someone that wasn't in theory something that you could do you had to still complete it online it's very odd i think that was a mistake on their part and then i think the way that they positioned them only as um customer collection centers was not quite the right i understand why they did it it's because they had this in their business plan this very specific we are online only and probably wanted to stick to the letter of that as much as possible but I don't think, yeah, I, I don't think it was a bad move necessarily to acquire all these things. And I think it was indicative of the fact that people want to go and see physical cars in the metal um, rather than buy them online sometimes. It was just the manner in which they did it didn't work as evidenced by the fact that they're now not doing it anymore in all these yeah. they've sold. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I think, um, you know, it's you can be a purely online brand, but that nothing beats a proper physical you know, mm. if, if people are driving along a busy road and they can see the big, you know, big sign, big orange lettering kazoo, you know, it's a it's a perfect advert, isn't it? So I think you do have to have physical representation. The 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 bigger, larger point here is the whole business in itself hasn't been run particularly well, has it? And the the casualties to all of this are, are the bits that you think would have worked well, which are these customer collection sites. Mm. It's just it, they've they've just been a casualty of a of a misrun business, really, haven't they? But uh, it, there is a certain irony in it, though, isn't there? That mm. that um, Kazoo hasn't been able to uh, do particularly well uh, in general, 
whilst the used car market has been on fire. And then the 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 irony is that this Bristol Street Motors dealership is purely going to be selling used cars. And so you've got the you've got the you've got the legacy dealer groups who are making an absolute killing on used cars at the moment to the point where they're having where they're they're expanding into into kazoo sites. So yeah, mm. there's, there's a, there is a sweet irony to all of this, isn't there? I will say uh, I think there is Go on, Simon. Actually. No, sorry. No, sorry. I, I, I think there's. I think you could almost replay the conversation in in my introduction about digital and physical. Um, and I think you know, Kazoo started with the fact that everything was going to be digital, and then realised quite quickly that the customer wasn't there, uh, and then kind of started to try and backfill bits bits of their process. Uh, they don't want to invest in premises because that stops them selling a million cars a year because they can't scale for it and they need scale via online. Um, and again, as you said, you know, they provide a, a handover center because they perceive that customers would be happy to do the whole of the thing online apart from the handover. So they built the handover center and then you get the irony. There's the cars parked there because they've got to park the car somewhere, but you can't buy them. Whereas I think people like Bristol Street Virtue is, is, is straightforward. They've got that. They, they've got that niche. You can go to the dealership. You can look at the car, go home, buy it online. You can look at it online, go and buy it in person. You can do the process exactly you want it. And if, if the problem that Kazoo have got now is if they try to do that, where's the disruption? Mm. They are, you know, they, they, you know, they, they're they're almost shackled by the concept that they wanted to disrupt. If they go back and just do what everybody else has done they've lost everything they were there to do they're just another retailer mm. ironically i think they probably are well yes that's right that is effectively what we've been saying for a while and the fact that we've we've been calling them a kazoo a car dealer too much to their annoyance for quite a while but what else do you call them they sell cars on a car dealer that is what they do um, I will say as well, there's something been puzzling me about all of these acquisitions of the ex-Kazoo sites is that there seems to have been, they've all, they've pretty much all, I say all, not all, but a lot of them have been snapped up quite quickly. And it occurred to me, okay, a lot of them were Imperial sites before, so they did have an owner as such. And that's effectively, it's almost like that it's collapsed, doesn't it? And that's why these sites have become available. But a lot of these places, I've been thinking, well, what were they before? They used to be sort of, um, some of them were franchised sites where the um, manufacturer has outgrown it and wants to build a shiny new one, and they've left this sort of shell behind. Um, but it, it still surprises me that so many of these are being snapped up so quickly in this current climate that we're in. But I think part of it is that Kazoo have left behind quite a lot of nice things in these dealerships. And I suspect uh, the price is right to acquire some of them. Um, so as an example, I was in one the other day and uh, the new owner had effectively, uh, was still moving cars in. They'd sort of reconfigured how it all worked. But Kazoo have, had spent a lot of money turning it into what Kazoo wanted um, compared to what it was before, which was a relatively bare shell having been in there before Kazoo had been in there as well. So Kazoo moved in, spent loads of money on it, put all their new furniture in, and effectively all this dealer group has had to do, I say all they've had to do, is paint over the orange with their own corporate colours, take the signs down, um, and then they've got a nice shiny new dealership. It's not an old, uh, old falling down thing. It's been renovated beautifully by all the money of Kazoo. Um, and they've even left half the furniture behind. 
So it's it's a bit of a win-win, isn't it? If you want to expand your used, particularly your used car sales um, offering, there's all these beautifully, it's like a new build house in a way. You've just got to peel off the old logos. Mm. Sounds like an episode of Changing Rooms. Sounds like an episode of Changing Rooms, doesn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Just just go in, just do, just just put slap a bit of paint there. It's essentially the same, it's the same house, Precis- isn't it? Precisely. Because yeah. who spent all the money, had to sell it cheap because they get out of it and yeah, else is reaping the benefits now. Yeah. So win-win. So thank you, Kazoo, for all that you're doing to benefit um used car dealers. And I'm sure and I'm sure and I'm sure sorry, I am sure all of us have seen the kazoo the bespoke kazoo Mercedes Sprinter transporters. Yes. Um they're all going very, very cheaply at auction houses, aren't they? And I know many a car dealer as 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 snap them up because they are high quality they haven't got a huge amount of mileage on them and they're bespoke for for transporting cars so i want to know who's getting all the kazoo number plates because they must have had about 300 of those as well yes all these personalized wedges are we suggesting that perhaps kazoo are going to be up for like the motor trade charity award next year Mm. well we can we can certainly look into that for used car awards That's a new category. I, I think we're poking the bear. We too- are now. I, I'm going to move us uh, <laughs> swiftly on now to uh, Jardine and Lithia Motors. So Lithia have um, obviously acquired Jardine. Um, I'm right in thinking that, aren't they? It's fully acquired, yes. So since then, Lithia are have actively said that they are looking for acquisition targets for Jardine, which I think is quite an interesting um position to be in because i feel like jardine i don't have much to say about this story but i feel like jardine was sort of slowly shrinking and now lithia seemed to be uh actively wanting to grow it which i think is never necessarily never a bad thing is it so if you are a premium car dealer in the uk lithia may want to buy you that's my take on this right say some more i don't have much to say about this um no i haven't got my i haven't got i haven't got <laughs> it's all going very well but i thought it i thought it was interesting that they um are looking no i think anyway. i think i think it's you're absolutely right it's interesting it's worthy of inclusion on this week's car dealer podcast but unfortunately i have nothing else to add <laughs> excellent simon any thoughts you're leaving it to me to come up with thoughts um, absolutely i think certainly looking at all the foreign companies circling the uk clearly there's uh a thought that the UK motor trade is undervalued, um, and I'm, and I suspect that uh, that that is still the case for, in terms of expansion. They've now got a an organisation here, and they can now use that to expand uh, elsewhere. Um, it's very interesting, though, if you look at that in association with some of the other stories we've had, where the franchise networks are being shrunk. And they will, what you know, what are they in, in debt? And we've seen that with Marshalls, for example. You know, mm. by Constellation, lost all its Toyota dealerships. Um, it's, you know, is, is, is there a danger there from that perspective? Uh, I don't know. There's lots of money. And where there's lots of money, you know, we, we could, we've seen, going back to our previous story with Kazoo, it's not hard to get investment. Um, it's much harder to get a return on it. Mm. I will say on the Marshall front with the Toyota dealers, of course, that was um, slightly more complex issue at hand there i think wasn't it in absolutely of, yeah. Yeah, yeah but if that was a Renault dealer group that'd be in a mm, well yes that's very true yes but of course jardine represents some very 
posh uh, franchises, don't they? So, mm. I'm looking at the picture now. Good... What I'm going Sorry. to buy. I'm looking at the picture on the website, seeing which one I'm going to buy. Yeah, <laughs> you're a Tesla owner. I am a Tesla owner. <laughs> oh, shall I move oh, on? Bachelor, take us away from this car crash of a story that I brought up. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, um, this took my eye this week. It's a serv- It's a study. It's a survey from eBay Motors Group. They found that most car owners would rather trade in their vehicle with a dealer than use an online car buying service. I feel mm-hmm. as though Simon's going Simon's to have to say, well, I have to repeat exactly what I said in my intro <laughs> an hour ago. But um, nevertheless, I think it is quite it's quite interesting that um, this this study has suggested that customers may still prefer to do things the old fashioned way. Research conducted as part of the group's latest Consumer Insight panel found that 62% of in-market buyers are currently expecting to part exchange at a dealership against the value of their next purchase. Meanwhile, a further 38% of the 2,000 people surveyed said they will sell their existing car before buying from a dealer. The research also showed that dealers remain the preferred destinations for online valuations for most owners. I mean, I... I mean, I, I mean, the thing is, we're not we're not usual consumers, are we? We you know if if I want to pass exchange my car, I want to take it to the dealer, you know, and I want I want them to have a look at it and what have you. But I can see for a lot of people that they've they're, they're completely besotted with their with this idea of buying a new car. They've configured it, haven't they? Online, they've done all of this stuff. They're excited about potentially buying this new car, and they look out of the window and they go, "Oh dear." You know, don't they? They just they just look at their old car and they think, I just want to be shot of that as quickly as possible because the lover's gone, hasn't it? Sometimes, and mm. I think an online um, selling service that dealers can offer, I think, is 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 tremendously appealing. Really, I mean, you get you get around that whole awkward thing of potentially a salesperson walking around and oh, there's a scratch there, there's a little dent there, there, Mister Bachelor. That's a, that's a, that's another hundred pounds off. All that kind of thing. You can just quickly get rid of the car, can't you? So, um, an interesting piece of research. But I just I think the the concept of selling your car to a car dealer online is only going to grow. I think. Mm. I will say this, as I understand it, this particular bit of research seems to focus on people as you say getting rid of their old car in order to swap into a new one it's not just people getting rid of their car mm. in order to then do nothing is it yes i think that is probably slightly more the market for we buy any car and places like that to an extent i that's what i feel anyway so sometimes they like to position themselves as oh a dealer will give you this amount as a trade-in we'll give you more great mm-hmm. um but i think there is there is a bit of I'm just going to sack this one off because I've, I don't know, somebody's gone to university or something and the, the car's sitting here and, you know, my child isn't using it or um, granny's stopped driving now because she can't see, you know, that sort of thing. It's it's just, don't laugh at that. My <laughs> grandmother can't see. But it's, it's that sort of thing. I To an extent, in that situation where it is trading in, I can see why 62% of buyers want to just give it to the dealership because... It's also convenience, isn't it? Like if I was, it's people, a lot of people we forget find the car buying and selling experience quite stressful, quite brain sapping and very mundane. And if they can just get rid of it 
at the same point that they go and collect their new car. Mm. Oh, that just makes life so much easier than having to deal with, oh, well, I could uh, go online with motorway and then do all this thing. But then there's a the thing of, well, what if nobody buys it? Then I'm stuck with two cars. Or what if you, you know, there's, there's also this point with, say you're going to go and buy a new, I was going to say a Ford Fiesta, but that's not strictly the case, is it? A new Ford Puma, you order it tomorrow. When does it actually arrive? You don't know. So you don't want to sell your current car until that arrives. So I can see it's it's so much more convenient to do it at a dealership. Mm. Um, where, as you say, this will be interesting, is whether these new um, dealer-specific sell-your-car-to Swansway, for example, we've got in this one, I think. Carzam mm. have got one as well, haven't they? They're car buying. Yeah. Not Carzam, sorry. Definitely not Carzam. Big no, not Carzam. World. Yes. Um, big Motoring World have launched one. And I'm sure there's plenty of others that we've not um we're not aware of and or haven't covered um or will launch in the short term. But whether that actually I think it's more those are more about um targeting customers who wouldn't normally sell to a dealer rather than physically walk into a dealer and sell your car rather than yep. replacing this pass exchange thing. So I think there's space for both is my very long-winded answer to this. On the channel. Omni channel, omni channel, yeah. I, I would, I'd go. I, mean, I think the, the biggest problem with you see statistics being quoted in in the press is there's not normally any background to where those statistics came from. You know, what's the demographic there? What sort of per per, per, per thing were they buying to be able to to do their car? I and mean, I think it's different. Somebody who's buying a brand new car, as you said, will probably be more than happy to give it to the dealer. Um, if you're in the second-hand market, you're maybe more likely to go to We Buy Any Car, perhaps. Um, the dealers, I mean, if you look at the dealers now buying cars online, that's that's a win-win because one of the problems they have now is getting used car stock, getting good used car stock, mm. by yeah. and by by offering to buy customers' cars on the website without necessarily making a new transaction gives them a good opportunity to get stock in. That's not necessarily a we buy anything, but certainly it's a good way of getting get, getting getting customers and getting their cars. Um, and again, it's all very very different. They'll probably outbid we buy any car on those. If I took a twenty five year old mini, that's probably worth some money actually. But yeah, to, you know, rust bucket to a dealer and said, "Don't tell Batch that he's got one in the garage." They'll probably go no. Whereas we buy any car will probably give something for it. So it's, it's it's all it's all courses for courses, very much so. You, the the market is not one flat market space. Um, you're you're looking for certain buyers, and you're looking to transact with certain customers, uh, both on the buying and the selling journey. And that story doesn't really give the full the full picture there. I don't think in that because the statistics behind it don't either. Mm-hmm. Well, Simon poo pooed that story. Then thanks for that, Simon. I don't think I'm going to win this. <laughs> I, 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 I love the story. I love numbers. I, I love you won't numbers. be winning batch. No, no. Well, I, I love numbers. They tell a story, but they only yeah. tell they only tell the story of the the company of the headline. Yes. Yeah. Well, as as the famous quote goes, you, you can say anything with statistics, can't you? You can indeed. Is that is that a famous? Saying? I don't know. I, I can't remember what. The... I, I think is it, is it cases lies, darn lies, and statistics. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I think I think thirty seven percent of people will agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, well, I've, suddenly, I've suddenly lost interest in this podcast now. So, <laughs> oh, it's all right. You won't be on next week, in theory. <laughs> um, so, I'll move on to our my final story. Um, yeah. which I'm going to not talk about anything dealery. I will talk about Caterham. Don't know why I said it like that. Caterham. Oh, 
Oh, Caterham. Oh, right. I'll talk about Caterham. So Caterham have unveiled a new car, which is, when I say it like that, is actually, it doesn't sound very impressive, but it's quite big news because Caterham haven't had a new car in ever, um, as far as I'm aware, that they were actually, they're actually going to produce. You know, they've had uh, seven. Do you want, do you, do oh, you no, want me to come up all nerdy here? Is it the 21? The 21, yes. Okay, so they haven't had a new car since 1993 or something. Is that right? Something like that. I don't think that was even really new. I think that was still based on the seven Lotus. I know, seven. but it, it was something that wasn't a seven, basically. That's true. It? And they sold all of about 30 of them, as I recall. Um, so Caterham has unveiled a new car, which they haven't done since 1990 something, <laughs> um, as James Batchelor would rightly put. <laughs> so this is a new concept EV, because of course it is. Um, which I have to say looks rather good. But the main thing that is quite interesting about it is it has a 55 kilowatt hour battery in theory when they find a battery supplier for it, which is good for a range of 249 miles. But they've somehow managed to make it only weigh 1190 kilos, so 1. Oh. 1.2 tonnes, which is, I don't know what that is in normal car terms, that Ford Fiesta weight is that... It's it's a not a lot of weight at all. It's obviously no. not as light as a Caterham Seven, but that is made of tin um, and has various IC engines under the bonnet, doesn't it? Um, mm. Not a lot else. Um, so they reckon this is going to sell for about eighty thousand pounds. I don't think they've have they officially said it is going to go on sale. That is, it's the implication. No, no I think it's just it's just a concept car at the moment, isn't it? But I mean, it's mm. pretty likely to go into production. It certainly looks production ready. I think it's just a case of um, finding the suppliers because, of course, Caterham, being quite a small company, can't afford to develop battery packs themselves in the same way they couldn't afford to develop petrol engines themselves. Um, I think it's quite a good-looking car, Hmm. um, and I do hope they put it into production. They reckon 2025 or early 2026, which would be about the right time for an electric uh, sports car to emerge. It's it's the lightness that really interests me because I think okay it's not very light for a caterer but that's sort of I how, what's what's an Alpine A one ten weigh that must be something about one point two tons or something like that yeah something similar yeah. and that is kind of outstanding to drive mm. uh, and quite unique it doesn't feel like anything else um, on the sale mm. it's so nimble. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I think it's quite, quite wonderful because I didn't know this car was coming at all. It was a real shock to me seeing that this week, and mm-hmm. how they've, um, you know, they've revealed it and announced it at the same time as the Good Festival Speed, at an event where, um, and you'll know this, Simon, Lotus have gone absolutely bonkers. I mean, the stand that they've got is huge, and of course, star of the show, of course. Um, arguably is the Electra, you know, the the their electric SUV. Um, which doesn't car, weigh 1.2 tonnes, does it? That is... Exactly. And a car which, um, you know, we're all being asked to remove the traditional Lotus part of our brains out mm. and, and to say, look, yes, OK, in the world of heavy electric SUVs, it is pretty light, you know, and it is it is it is it handles beautifully. But fundamentally, it is a big, heavy SUV. And then, uh, you know, at the same time, you've got Caterham who've come out and and shown off um, an electric sports car, which is light and all those kinds of things. Uh, another thing that uh, I find interesting about this car is 
um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that long ago when we when Caterham were being very tight lipped about anything to do with electric. Um, and there was even talk that potentially there was going to be some kind of government loophole that would mm. allow s- small little car manufacturers to continue building um, small volume sports cars beyond the 2030 um, ban. And um, and then all of a sudden they've developed uh, an electric uh, Caterham Seven, and they've got this this sports car. So it's um, there seems to be a lot of momentum and a lot of you know a lot of stuff going on at Caterham at the moment, which is which is great to see. Mm. And also because I think we have watched Caterham go from project to project with other manufacturers, haven't we? Is there been I don't know if there's been more. No, there has been more than one because there was the initial tie up with Alpine, Alpine. whatever you want to call them, yeah. which. Caterham sort of exited, didn't they? And then the Alpine A110 came out. Yes. Um, and then the most recent one was a tie-up with Lotus, which has only just dissolved, am I right in thinking? Mm. I imagine there's a tie-up with Lotus. I th- uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I do, the Alpine one is definitely correct. Mm. Yeah. So they've not really managed to get it together with a, an enormous car manufacturer, which is sort of unsurprising because they are so far removed from that. Um but it's good to see them looking to the future because they can't keep making the Caterham 7 forever. I mean, I'm sure that, is, that sells mostly in Japan now anyway to kind of the sorts of people that would buy, would have bought MGL gates well, back in the 90s. Well, I, I need to shock you there. I mean, oh. they are selling tons of Caterham 7s. A friend of mine, a photographer friend of mine, ordered one last summer last summer, summer 2022 and it still hasn't been built yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I think he's been quoted. It, it, it effectively, only takes about six weeks to build them, um, which it's in a itself, chip shortage batch. Which in it, yeah, the chip shortage. Yes, you can't get it to the electric seats and the head-up display. No, but they, but it, but it's because it's such. They are obviously hand-built and they are absolutely inundated with orders for them at the moment. Um, and they've had to raise prices quite a few times. I mean, that my friend. Has, has had various communications with Caterham saying, you know, that price that you paid last summer, well, it's gone up by £6,000, you know, here's the balance uh, and all this kind of stuff. Work, then? So, um, so yeah, I mean, you would you would assume that they'd be selling them in very small numbers, but they're not. No, I, I mean, I, mean I, I, I should declare I, my father owns a seven and has done for 30 years. Uh, he's part of the seven club. And, and I think that's Caterham's problem is that, it sells inherently nostalgia. It sells mm. motoring from a world gone by. You know, it sells light, powerful cars, open, you know, open top, no protection. It sells it sells cars from the 50s. Uh, that's what the 70s. Uh, and it doesn't pretend to be anything else. Um, you know, and it sells them by the shed load, as, as Batch has said. You know, here, Japan, people who want that sort of car uh, buy buy that buy that because no, it has no competition really in mm. that in that marketplace. Now, of course, with the move to electric and where the seven is perhaps on its last legs, it has to reinvent. It not only has to reinvent the product, it actually has to reinvent its marketplace as well. It's now trying to sell the future and not the past, mm. or somehow reinvent the past as the future. I, I saw the car yesterday, by the way, at Goodwood, and mm. it, it does look awesome. Um, but there's also a Caterham EV there as well, and I was just and I just hovered by it. So they they do an EV, it's the same drivetrain, I think. It's the seven, um, is this? Yeah, yeah, the seven. Mm-hmm. They had one. They say so they had on their stand the seven with the electric, all the bonnet off, the electric batteries in the front, electric motor mm-hmm. in the back, 
and they had behind that the new car uh, behind that. And, you know, and I, and I was listening to people walking around, say, the 7 EV. And it, and it was like, and the same as my father says, you know, he says the 7 EV is a great car. One problem. It doesn't go broom, broom, broom. And, and that really sums up Caterham's problem. Hmm. Well, but but also there is the potentially another problem if they put this uh, concept car into production, and it, it's um, it's sort of the same problem that the Caterham Twenty One had, which um, it's very difficult to move those um, customers who purely see Caterham as a brand that builds the Seven into something that's totally different, but um, actually competes with a far wider group of cars. I mean, if that car goes into production, it's going to be up against the the cayman electric it's going to be up against the alpine electric it's going to be up against all these these other uh cars from far larger um car companies so um i hope it does go into production and i hope it does sell well but it it's it presents a huge headache for caterham um because suddenly that that customer base has always bought the caterham 7 because it's a caterham 7 that's unlike anything else suddenly um is asked to to buy something that's very different so mm. i was going to say i can see them as you said about lotus i can imagine most lotuses from here on out are going to get less lotusy for want of a better word you know i i can understand they need to build the electra which is a name i can't say properly um i can understand they need to build that in the same way that porsche need, needed to make a kn for example but you know i was i was reading the view about the electra and the um, suggestion was that while a Porsche Cayenne does feel like a Porsche and even a, a Taycan has inherent Porscheness to it, mm. that Electra doesn't feel like a Lotus. You could remove the badges and it didn't, doesn't feel very Lotusy. And in fact, this particular thing said it uh, feels more Germanic, really, because it was it, the development for it was in Germany, wasn't it? In fact, anyway, I'm going on about the Lotus, but you know, <laughs> if Lotus comes out with another sports car, I don't think it's going to be an Elise type thing no. i think it's going to be here is our 911 that we've produced um because then we can sell it for lots and lots of money um and have a lovely time and mm. perhaps Caterham could fill that niche but as you say there is going to be an alpine of course which will be very similar yeah okay shall i move us on to our final my final story please very quickly we're way over very, time already i know i'm gonna be very brief um uh, but it sort of takes us full circle, really, because I just wanted to just quickly talk about the fact that Ed China has has um, taken over from Quentin Wilson at Warranty Wise. And but the thing I love about this story is he's the he's the expert arbiter, and I think that what a what 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 a job title, what a, what a, what a role to have in life. I'd I'd love to be an expert arbiter. Well, you've been this. sacked, so you can't be. How <laughs> for the first ten years, batch. <laughs> um you, you do realize i'm not quentin wilson then yeah you do um i i want to say yes but in my heart <laughs> no but anyway so yeah ed china is is now the expert arbiter there and um i just think that's just a just a great job title to have and in um uh the little quote that accompanies the release from from Lawrence Whitaker, I was actually surprised by the number, potentially the number of cars driving around on the roads without warranties. I mean, but then I think I also own two older cars and I don't have warranties on them. It hasn't even crossed my mind to have a warranty on those cars because they're just old cars. Yes. You, and to be fair, for something to go wrong with one of those old cars, you'd have to actually drive it. 
So Ooh, that's that's the that, first issue. That's there. a hurtful comment. There. How many? Um, you, what's the reg of your uh, MG? Should I see how many miles it's done since the last MOT? Uh, so so um, so Simon, what do you think about the story? <laughs> I mean, well, you know, a lot you can say about the story. I don't. No, think. there isn't, is there? It, but don't you agree that expert arbiter is, a, a is an amazing job title? It's to a have. great story. It's an amazing bit of PR. Um, and gets their name in the press, and that's that's brilliant. Um, as, as as far as a job goes, it's I'd love it sitting. It's like being a judge, isn't it? It's just like get a gavel up. I yes, I'd award you that warranty. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about your problem about not having a warranty, that is a perfect omni-channel re- uh, opportunity for a dealer. Oh, all the hairs on the back of my neck have stood up. Then, and now, yeah, exactly. I, I'm, yes. I'm talking. I'm talking dealer porn now, aren't I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and on that, I've got no more to say about that. Fantastic. Uh, well, on that note, are there any? Uh, I haven't got anything else just to say, which is jolly good because we're allotted to time. Um, Simon, are there any stories you think we've missed this week? I think the, 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 the main story for me, you've mentioned several times I'm an electric car and Tesla owner, was the new proposed legislation about EV chargers, mm. having a single payment point, about making them easy to use. And, you know, I'm a Tesla owner. I don't think about chargers. I just get in the car, drive, and I don't worry about if it's raining or not because I just have to plug the thing in in two seconds as I walk past. That's how charging should be. And that story and hopefully that uh, legislation will hopefully make the rest of charging around the country to be exactly the same level and remove charge anxiety, which I think I would call that. I have a two-word verdict on that, um, which is it won't. Oh, 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 well, whether we will or not is another question. It should do. Um, but yes, neither of us picked up on that. I think we, we go through on this podcast. We should, we should about have EVs. spoken about that. We should we have spoken about that. We should we have didn't. spoken about that. Um, oh, well. So apart from that, uh, who do you think chose the best stories? Well, of course, my one was the best story of the week. But the one I think the, the, the story that was, was the lead story, the Renault dealer story, I think that's really telling the story of the motor trade for the next five years. Well, that was James Batchelor, if I recall correctly. Oh, does that mean I've won? It does mean you've won. That was a mistake, by the way. <laughs> 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 well, congratulations, Batch. Um, wow. Don't wow. spend all your winnings in screw fix. Two two years. That's two years. That's two weeks on the run. That is on the trot. It is. It is. But luckily, you won't be here next week to uh, reprise that. In theory, uh, I wouldn't. I would never. Never say never. We well, never. Yeah. No. I need to get James on to talk about his very exciting road trip in a Genesis, which I'm sure everyone's dying to hear about. And he has a lot to say. He's told me so. Um, don't tune in next week. Um, so, all that's left for me to say on that note is thank you to simon for judging today um and for joining us it's been lovely to chat with you um and hear a bit more about dms navigator thanks for inviting me on no problem and thanks as well to james bachelor for competing and thank you for listening we'll be back next week make sure you're subscribed so you can be notified when that goes live uh we've also got concurrently another podcast out which is uh our dear leader James Baggett's uh, doing, which is called Car Dealer Inspiring Leaders. Um, so our first episode of that is out with uh, the three Smythe brothers from Swansway. Um, so do give that a listen. It's very interesting. Um, you can find links to that on our website or 
indeed by searching Car Dealer Inspiring Leaders Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, don't forget you can swipe up now on this podcast and vote on who you think won. If you want to check out the stories we mentioned today, you can click the links in the show notes below or head to our website where you'll find those and more news as usual. Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye.